Welcome to Live to Grind. My name is Brennan T. Adams, serial entrepreneur, inventor, TV creator, and speaker, passionate about helping others create something great and become unforgettable. Join me each week to discuss practical ways to help you increase your income and impact as an influencer in your industry. My goal is to help you take your business and lifestyle to the next level. Now let's get started. Welcome back to the Live to Grind podcast show. I'm Brennan C. Adams, and on today's show, we have Jason Tucker of Battleship Stance. Jason, this is, I got to say, this is probably the most interesting interview I've done. I really enjoyed it, and it goes different than any other interview we've actually done before. And what we do is Jason shares his journey. By the way, some cool things about him. He's been on some shows such as Little House on the Prairie. He, When he was a kid, he was actually... He, he did acting, and, and then when he grew up, he did some commercial work and, and even created some different commercials and was a part of some shows, and he, we talk about, actually, this interests me a lot, actually, I enjoyed this, is when he talked about how he was able to sell a show with a well-known actor, a rally show, so he sold a show and actually they aired three episodes of it, so we talk about the TV world and how we got into that, then we jump in to the things he's doing today with intellectual property, and they actually have their own Facebook community and course for this. We talk about how people are stealing content online. Even, believe it or not, you'll hear on the show where somebody actually is selling one of my courses illegally online. And I didn't know this until I met Jason. He actually pulled this up really quick. We talk about how online there's so many different things happening right now. We don't know it where people are taking our online content. If you have courses, you have anything online and you're building influence, you're bound to have somebody go online and pirate your stuff and sell it. So he shares how you can make sure people stay away, how you can actually target them and make sure they don't come after you. And uh, actually how you can actually, if they do, how he helps his clients win back millions of dollars. He has some big cases he talks about. Then we go into his experience with FPI. This guy can track anything down. Dude, there's some fun stories on this. Uh, listen to the end. There's Even at the end, there's some very interesting things we talk about. I love this. You'll get a lot out of it. But before we jump into the show, I want to ask you a question. Are you investing in your personal brand? What are you doing right now to help your personal brand, to help you be seen as an influencer in your industry? What content are you creating? Well, at accelerantmediagroup.com, that's what we do. We help you build your personal brand and be seen as an influencer in your industry and help you look like the badass you were born to be. So if you're looking to build your personal brand, contact us at accelerantmediagroup.com. And maybe I'll be working with you to create your own video content and help you build your personal brand so you can make more money, make more impact, and build influence across the country. So let's jump into it with my buddy, Jason. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Live to Grind podcast show. I'm Brennan C. Adams, and on today's show, we have a friend of mine. We have this guy is very interesting, by the way. You want to say one of the most interesting guys in the world, this guy is it. <laughs> and he's also uh, a fellow masterminder in our group, and uh, his name is Jason Tucker. What's up, Jason? How you doing? I- I'm doing good. It's uh, It's been a good day. been doing some good recording. 
actually had some good conversation with you beforehand, which I'm excited to get into for the show. Some we can talk about, some we can't. Thank you for having me. But uh, Jason Tucker here of Battleship Stance. Jason, I, I'm excited to talk about, for one, what you're doing with IP. And I mean, from my background, with I have a few patents and trademarks and I've spoke on some boards for some interesting things and on some commercials, and that's one thing we share too. We both uh, did some acting in our day. Um, but before we get into the nitty-gritty of stuff, can you kind of just share with the audience your beginning uh, when you got into acting and how it kind of led to, well, doing the things you're doing today? I was a child actor, and it just happened that my parents were approached and got me involved in it. And so I was on shows back – I think my first show was The Jeffersons. I was on St. Elsewhere. I was on Chips. I was the McDonald's kid for a while. I, <laughs> How old were uh, you? I was on Little House, um, somewhere between 5 and 13, 14 years old. You, you got to send me, by the way. You got to send me the clip of you on Little House in the Prairie. Dude, you'll get a kick out of this. My staff is really good at finding things. And so years ago, unprompted, they decided to go fish on me one day and actually found some old footage and posted it. And I was like, wow. Too th- I was like, you guys have way too much free time on your hands. You definitely got to send that to me and we got to put that on the notes. <laughs> we can actually have a few drinks and, and in Iowa and our master, we can actually like watch that and have some entertainment okay. over it. So so you did the, the child acting, but what? What when you got to high school? Like, when was your first real like entrepreneur endeavor or doing your own thing in business? I was always kind of doing something. I mean, I was born and raised in L.A. I was always, you know, I was the kid that sold candy in school, right? When there was an opportunity, there was you, always. <laughs> did you I, sell I, gum? I once I, sold a pack of gum that was twenty five cents for five dot bucks. <laughs> I was selling like Jolly Ranchers yeah. and stuff. <laughs> and take orders, but uh, I was doing that. I was no joke. I was scalping tickets at one point years before StubHub. Yeah, uh, and uh, I just always had a line on stuff, and and then um, uh, it progressed into wanting to do production. I started doing uh, concert production and nightclubs and things of that nature, and then always wanted to be on the production side of, of feature film and television. So, so like, and, what kind of stuff? Like, tell me, give me. Let's say you're going to go to I want an event. to make movies and TV shows. What I do, I love it. Exactly, but at, back then there wasn't you know this big thing called the internet, so it was you know Universal and NBC and you know the whole concept of Hollywood. And I've since gone on and executive produced some TV shows and, and worked on films as an assistant director. And I directed. Oh, you know what? I forgot about that. I directed commercials when I was in college. So uh, how old were you at this time? When I start, when I started directing commercials, I was about nineteen years old, eighteen years old. I actually, I was very honest with my professors. I was like, "Look, I got this gig. This is what I'm being asked to do. So either I can lie to you and tell you like every family member is going to die before the end of the semester because I'm going to take time off of school, or you could just understand this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to show up and do what I need to do for you." And so we just had a mutual understanding. Lee said, so. "You know, it's funny. That sounds like I took a graduate class once, and I went up to him and I said, you know what?'" I'm paying you, I think it was like $1,500, and I, I'm about to launch my own product. I said, I want to learn some things from you, but quite honestly, I don't give a shit about my grade. And <laughs> I, I, I straight up said that, and he said, okay. And at the end of the semester, I I went to like four of the eight classes, and I knew I was going to fail, but I didn't care, again, because I, GPA didn't mean shit to me. But I went to the last one, and I'm like, do you want me to take this exam? And he's like, yeah, take it. I'm like, well, just so you know, I didn't study at all, and I'm probably going to bomb it. I took the exam. 
halfway done, I handed it in. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I handed it in. Here's the great part. He passed me with a C. One year later, the dean of Iowa State Business School, I went and spoke in front of the dean and the whole school about success. And I look in the audience, and there was a professor that I passed me, and I said, I don't care what you give me for a grade. It's funny how things work, but at least you're upfront about it, right? Exactly. And that was that was always my thing. It was it was just kind of like, look, I can – you might as well know where I'm coming from right out of the gate. Um, and it also helped him, I think, because, or them collectively, but this one professor in particular because it was like – Look, I'm not going to run game on you. You might as well know where I'm coming from, and what you get is what you get, and what you're going to do is what you're going to do. So yeah. talk about talk about the production. So, what what are some notable yeah. like uh, there was, projects there, you worked there was, on? There was there, so the last show that I worked on, uh, God, it was a few years back. We did a show for VH1 called Shooting Sizemore. Um, Tom Sizemore, the actor, uh, old friend of mine, was going through a, a, lo- a long rough patch. Um, and he happened to be shooting a film at, uh, a, a well, ranch I used to own. Uh, and, uh, he came out of the trailer and I looked at him and I go, Tom? And he looks at me, he goes, Jason? I was like, you look like shit. <laughs> he goes, nobody talks to me like that. I was like, you still look like shit, dude. <laughs> anyway, so we got to talking and, and long story short, he had some problems going on. And so he's like, I need someone to manage me. Can you help me? Can you this? Can you that? And so uh, he he was in and it, it took him to rehab. And while he was in there, it's like let's do a reality TV show. Reality TV was hot, uh, so went to VH1. And I kid you not, this was the this was the start of the pitch. Tom Sizemore. Does everyone in the room know who he is? Like you know, Saving Private Ryan and blah blah blah. You know all these all these all these great movies and and which uh, one is he know. by the way in Saving Private? He's, I don't. He's, Fiction and Heat, and he played the detective. He was. Oh, he was he, in uh, Heat. I love that. Yeah, exactly. See, this is the response from the room, right? So everybody's like, "Oh yeah, of course we know who he is." I was like, "Look, in a bad way, he's in rehab right now. He's getting out of rehab, and one of two things is going to happen: he's either going to get clean, or he's going to run as fast as he can into a brick wall, and we can have it all captured on film." <laughs> Right. So uh, they said yes. A couple of other studios that same day said yes. Tom decided he wanted to be with VH1 because he thought the people were cool. I called up. We did a deal by the end of the day. Boom. That was our last show. Negotiated the deal. I think we did like eight episodes. They aired three. They paid us for all of them. And that was the end of that story. We're working on another couple of shows now. So you're telling me, oh, he's a good actor now. And I'm looking like, dude, that guy's badass. Dude. if you watched a movie in the 90s and you cared about what the movie was because there was, like, stuff blowing up, he was in it. Dude, he is a He's got bad. crazy – he's awesome, dude. Listen, Tom and I talk on, on, you know, on rare occasion these days. I care about him a lot at, as a friend, and, and I hope he's doing well. Does he well. act at all? He, he works, yeah, but I don't stay in touch with him enough just because I've, I'm pretty busy and he's a time – So let me, let me ask you. I don't know if you can share – how much do you get paid per episode? On that one, I think I was paid. I think I negotiated like twelve five per episode, something like that. How long ago was that? Uh, you'll have to Google it. It was shooting size more. It was like two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. So it like wasn't that long ago. So what what did you learn from that whole experience? Um, I negotiated the best deal ever. I didn't have to do anything. And if if and when I do another show, we're pitching a couple shortly. 
But uh, the goal is kind of the same thing, which is I love nowadays. See, back then I wanted to be like, or not before then I wanted to be very physical, very hands on, very this, very that. And now I've realized time is very important and I don't need to spend my time doing that all day long. No disrespect to my friends that love doing that and that are passionate about it. I will totally support them. But I have a skill set that is better suited in other areas. Yeah. So if I can pitch a show and set it up and get paid and just walk away and get credit, I don't care about the credit. I care more about you know the dough. Then yeah. it, then it's good for me. It's a win win. Other people can go do what they do. I found segueing into what I do now. I found a niche that works for me and that I love to do, and I'm passionate about that. And that gets me more excited than what I was doing before because we all go through stages in life, right? No, so, I'm so not, you you know the I, whole shiny object. You you realize like you know you're going to focus on what you know to do really well to make a lot of money, and you're not going to like you're not going to spend all the time to go through the whole process of creating the well, show yeah, and but everything I'm also else. In more control of it, right? Like yeah. I just finished negotiating a deal today that we've been working on for a while for for the, some of the a couple of the studios that we represent for seven figures, right? But I would I would I helped be in control of all of those elements, right? That was yeah. fun today. I didn't have to listen to someone else go no. <laughs> so, so how how did you and I, this is just me really interested in this. So for that deal for that show, how did you get them to say yes? Oh, they said we we like it. We want to do it. And they just they they funded it and they they went with it. Well, that's what ends up happening. So you 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 essentially go on and you set up a pitch. Um, at this point, we were walked in by an agency, so they take it a little more seriously because you're walking in with some clout and there were some other, there were other producers yeah. involved, and everybody's trying to you know act like they do this all the time. And and uh, you know it's that L.A. thing, right? Like I'm interested, but I'm not interested. Yeah. So. Um, and no disrespect, I'm from there, so I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> I'm a poster at heart, which is how I get stuff done. Because uh, LA is like, hurry up and wait. But you can reinvent yourself over and over again, which is fun. And we have the beach and the snow and the, yeah. the, so, uh, and the earthquakes every once in a while. <laughs> so um, uh, we walked in and we said, here's the concept. I told you what the concept was. No shit, no kidding. Like That was pretty much what my pitch was. Uh, and we had practiced, you know, you're going to say this and you're going to say that, but we just skipped over all of that. Um, and I went in with an attitude I've never really had before. Cause it's, like I said before, I've always cared about, well, I want to get this done. I want to get this on this show. I walked in, we walked in, Tom's like, I don't give a fuck what they say. Like if they don't like it, we're out of there. Right. And we actually, it happened at one point. He's like, I don't know. He's like, before they were even done with the sentence of we're not, we were up and out the door and I was grabbing stuff. So in this particular case though, um, they said we like it, we want to do it, and everybody was it was a good vibe, so we rolled with it. Did you film it then? You were you the one that actually filmed it, or are you just part of the team? No, no, no. Like, I, w- I was I pitched it, I signed it, I negotiated the, and you deal, got the I fuck signed out. the contract, I negotiated a couple of other deals for other people that were involved, and my contract, my responsibility ended at that point and I picked up a check. Well, I am so glad we're in a mastermind together because you know what? I, I'm looking next year. I'm filming a whole show, it's 12 exciting. episodes. You know, what? I'm going to do it either way. You can just help me sell it. <laughs> Listen, if nothing else, if somebody takes it from you, I can certainly figure that part out for you. <laughs> so let, let's so let's walk in that. So you got to this industry. Let's kind of lead up into what you do today. Sure. So I co-owned a uh, – well, I'll just say the world's largest erotic library of images at the time, which was exactly three million images. Um, uh, I co-owned it with my ex-wife. And um, at one time we supplied 50 percent of all the photos that you saw in men's magazines in the United States. 
get grab that concept for a second. We did about 10, 20% Europe. So this is in the very early days of the internet. Um, uh, I had worked with Microsoft at this point. I had worked with Akamai Technologies at that point. That's really quick. I had relationships in the entertainment field. I had relationships in the tech field. I spoke back then what was some strange lexicon of geek. I also spoke Hollywood. I was bridging the gap between the two worlds. Those worlds eventually collided. Okay, fast forward. So have this stock photo library. And when the, you know, the internet was essentially created, well, we know who created it, but it was, it was thrust into really the masses through the distribution of adult material. And yeah. so everybody in Silicon Valley wanted a piece of it at the time and Redmond, Washington and well, 100 technology square at MIT, which is where Akamai, uh, started. So, so that was the number one, like, VHS, right? Like how do you get stuff out there? Right. So like Microsoft wanted to be the predominant player in the, in the marketplace. Everybody wanted to compete for space. Um, what's the fastest way to do it? Well, everybody's watching adult material. Let's do that. So um, I, I was essentially a gateway to that world. I did a feasibility study for one of the companies. And at the end of it, I put in, if you need anything, you're, I'll be there. Because I saw this opportunity to take technologies that were just coming about. We're talking about like the transition between the concept of JPEG push and streaming. Like that's how, how early, it, yeah, exactly. And why they were sticking with JPEG push versus streaming. The early days of, of, of original Windows Media Player, Real was still charging millions of dollars for a license. So um, I saw this as an interesting opportunity. The content never really mattered to me. Because uh, for me, it was about toys to play with. Not people, but you know what I mean. Technology yeah. toys to play with. And uh, from, a, from a, a, C, a content delivery network standpoint, a lot of money, be, a lot of money being made lot of opportunity. So took advantage of that. Had some great relationships, maintained some great relationships over about a 20-year span now. So had this stock photo, segue, fast forward. So had this stock photo library, and in the early days, people were scanning magazines and putting this stuff out on the internet. And then they were putting, they were, we were doing licensing deals, but people were borrowing from each other and creating galleries and using them as, as and selling them in membership sites. And and so I was able to go onto Google, click on images, and search by set number, like by the, 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 the Dewey Decimal System-esque setup that we had that was coded. I was able to search by, by as page after page after page. Yeah. I got pissed. I was like, I've got – I am – this is costing me money somehow. And so um, from that, it became what can I do about it? So uh, talk to some. And just to, re to go through this, basically, people were stealing your the photos that you own. Oh yeah, they were stealing and selling it, and selling it, and making dough. And I wasn't making the dough. And I was like, "This is bullshit." That's my. It's it's no it, here. That's my car. I always use this example. Like, imagine you own a car lot and you're selling cars, and the guy across the street has an empty parking lot. And then you lock up on Friday and you come back on Monday and you go to what is now your empty parking lot. And you're like, "Where the fuck are all my cars?" And you look across the street. And there's all your cars across the street on what was this guy's empty lot with a for sale sign on it. That's the same equivalent. So I was like, I want my cars back. And I want to get paid for the gas that you use to drive them across the street. So yeah. went to an attorney, uh, said, you have to send these notices to take them down. And so back then, we were, I was told, you have to send them by mail, not email. You have to send them by mail with return receipt to prove they got them. 
spent about a quarter of a million dollars sending these pieces of paper out and realized, you know what? Still haven't made any money. So I was like, there's got to be a better mousetrap. So I sat down with um, a bunch of different attorneys and had this theory that they should be made to pay and found some people that agreed with me. And so I started, uh, uh, we started going after people who were stealing our stuff and suing them in federal court. And some were settling and some were fighting. And now we started recouping. But what happened is, is I noticed that the amount of stolen content was now going down, which was good. So it was about, you know, creating scaring this, people away. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So over the years, so for the first couple of years, I was the the asshole out there suing everybody. How dare I, right? The, the internet yeah. should be this, you know, free forum for all, all things cool and, 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 and altruistic. And so, uh, until it started happening to other studios and then my phone started ringing, can you help me out? What do you think I should do about this? And at first I was blowing people off. And then one day I was like, I'm just going to spit out a number. Here's my monthly fee. And I want this percentage. And they were like, we'll call you back. And they called me back and said, Okay, and I went, shit, I've got a client. <laughs> <laughs> I can make uh, money from this. So then, well, it was kind of like, well, now I need to do, like I, I, I said I was going to do, now I need to deliver, right? So that became more and more and more. So um, as a result of that, I've developed tools over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years now that I'm able to assist companies, we're able to assist companies in organizing, registering, managing, monitoring, and enforcing their intellectual property rights, be it copyrights, trademarks, patents on the internet. Um, I, I will tell you right out of the gate, we only go after companies. I don't go after individuals. I'm not, mm-hmm. a co- I'm not a patent troll. I'm not a copyright troll. I don't go out going, who can I shoot today? If you've shown up, because there are other companies out there that send takedown notices, and we send them for specific purposes. But if you're showing up on my radar, chances are, you're doing something really wrong and you're making obscene amounts of money doing it. So unlike the first And like how much money are we talking? Are we talking hundreds of thousands? Like oh, how much millions money? of dollars. We're talking millions of dollars. So you're going after people that are basically illegally making millions of dollars from using somebody else's copyrighted material or patented. Oh absolutely. Content. Absolutely. And it's more so the copyrights. I mean, there are whole libraries of videos that we're finding on a regular basis that are being sold by other people or monetize through ad engines or whatever the case may be. But none of the numbers we're talking about are small. I mean, the, the, the person that I was, the, 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 the company that I was telling you about today or earlier, they're doing in excess of a hundred million hits a month. They're making stupid money. Um, yeah, these guys aren't playing with, with, with small amounts of traffic. They're playing with a lot of traffic and they're making big money doing it. And there's also small little feeders that are, issues as well. So what we do is, is we set up campaigns, we work with studios and we help them effectively manage this from start to finish. Because so how do you, so if, campaign. if somebody's getting taken advantage of and by somebody else take, making a lot of money off of their product or whatever it may be. So what do you sp- walk us through the process of if you're going to basically make sure to shut them down? So I what do you do? Plug for this. So what we have coming out is at intellectualpropertyhq.com is a course to to teach my wife Melissa is, is putting all of this together right now to take what we've been doing at Battleship for years and be able to teach individuals, Others. other companies, whoever that may be, to be able to do this themselves effectively. 
no matter what type of content producer you are, because everybody's a content producer these days. You've got a 12-episode show coming out. You've got a podcast. You're a blogger. That's content. You're an e-course producer, um, and your content's being stolen. Yeah. We should talk about that too. So, um, yeah, my, one of my courses is actually being stolen. Yeah. So, assholes. So, right, <laughs> so right, right, right there, that emotion right there is what I want to help people deal with and give them some tools to be able to effectively take some action. So, here's some things you asked me what, what yeah. one could do. What, here's what, what that What you do. Yeah, walk through what so, you do. Um, what I would do initially is make sure that all of the content that we're dealing with or a good chunk of the content that we're dealing with is registered with the U.S. Copyright Office. It's all of $55 to register it. I worked with the Copyright Office over the last 12 months to create the new definition for group registrations. So you can take all your blogs or all your podcasts or all of your whatever for the course of a year, put it all together as a group, $55, submit it to the Copyright Office, and now it's registered. What does this mean to you from a, uh, an enforcement standpoint? When you, I'm not an attorney. Not an attorney at all. Let's just let's get the disclaimer out. So this is not legal advice. This is my years of experience being imparted onto you and your audience. Yeah. So uh, once you have that, if you go and you take action in a courtroom, or you have to, uh, because you're really left with no option, or even a negotiating position, because there's, I, I'm a big fan of, of, of an ongoing discussion with whomever the other side is. Statutory damages are what you're entitled to. Statutory damages for what's called willful infringement can range between $30,000 to $150,000 per infringement plus legal fees. 10 registrations, $150,000 apiece, $1.5 million plus legal fees. Now you're playing with serious gas. Um, and so, yeah, exactly. So the more registrations you have, the more scary you can be coming up somebody's at somebody's front door. So... Uh, we organize all of those. We want to make sure everything's in order, and I want to make sure that whatever's coming out of my mouth is true in the sense that if I represent that you are the copyright owner and I am your agent for that, then in fact it is true. Because we have ze- on my side, I have zero room for error. Zero yeah. room for error. So uh, then what we'll do is we will go out and we will find where this stuff is, or we'll be told we've already identified these locations and these are problems for us. Um, some so you find the actual people that steal the content, exact yeah. location. Oh yeah, absolutely. We'll track them down and then we'll find ways to, to potentially bring a case in the United States or I'll reach out and I'll try and get in touch with them. Do you, do you send, will you call them? Sometimes. I have no qualms about doing anything. I will send an email. I will. So let's, up. let's walk through that. So let's say, <laughs> I, let's say I'm a, I, what, let's say I'm some asshole that stole about a hundred million dollars worth of content. You call me up. What's that conversation look like? Uh, I have documented all of the infringements that you have been monetizing on your website. And I'd like to have a conversation about it. So currently here's what the scope of the case looks like. We can either talk numbers now or we can file it. You know, we can have the the client can potentially file a case against you and we can have this conversation again in six months. Uh, You may think I'm an absolute prick. That's perfectly fine. However, I want you to know that now you have my number. Feel free to use it whenever you're comfortable some people will tell me to fuck off. I'll tell them, okay, you know, let's go spend $100,000 in legal fees and see how you feel. And uh, and, and your clients will spend that money. And well, basically what- that's, no, that's what they'll spend. My clients spend a lot less. I've come up with I've, – I've perf- I have not perfected, but I've come up with a way to, to make sure that the costs to my client are less than the costs to the other side 
just because of the way that we structured the deals. So, so let's let's go through a deal. I want to hear your biggest deal you won and what that looked like, if you can talk about this. Yeah, no, I, I'm just, I, yeah, it's funny you should say that. I was like rattling through confidentiality agreements. <laughs> confidentiality provisions, which was actually, yeah. So we took a domain portfolio and flipped it for about one five and then monetized all of the additional traffic for an additional couple million. I've set up acquisitions. We've done, we've done so one s- five, like $1.5 million. You've just off, you won just for off, your client. Yeah. Just off of slinging the portfolio. The biggest settlement I've done was double digit millions. I don't remember exactly what, what the specific amount was, but it was pretty significant. I so mean, we're talking over 10 million. Oh yeah, it, it was that you, that you won for your client. Yes. And millions. I mean, and I'm not. I'm not trying to sound. And how long is this? Just, no. How how long did this take? How long did this case take this, to fight it from beginning to end? That that particular one was was almost two years. Um, so you got so when you start. See, this is the thing. When you get into the actual litigation portion, one of two things is going to happen. Somebody's coming to the table, or they're hunkering down for a bit. And if they hunker down, it's really easy to buy time in the court system. So. Why should people care about this problem now? Why does it matter to them? If you are manufacturing content on any level and you hit any sort of critical mass, there is going to be someone on the other side of the equation that is going to want to take your content and monetize it somehow. So everyone out, let's use a hypothetical. You're selling a course for $1,000. I can go buy your course and then turn around and sell it to a bunch of people for nineteen ninety five. Here's what and I about pirates. They're really good at marketing. This is why I like leaving the doors open because you can you can potentially turn them into an affiliate or create a licensing situation or put them to work for you. Now, I'm a firm believer that they should pay for what they've done. Yeah. And they sting a little bit, but turning them into an affiliate actually gives them a chance to, you know, theoretically make some of their money back. Well, your money back. Yeah, um. <laughs> money back was your your product. So how is this going to even – because this is a problem that's happening now and people most – just to give you an example. So I have a course from last March that we created, a Keys of the Crowd course that you looked up in like 30 seconds and you saw somebody was selling it online. Right. And I didn't know this and the feeling I had was like, what the fuck, asshole? <laughs> and I didn't know about it but they were selling my product. So I saw this in the adult business very early on and I was screaming from the rooftops. There's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem. You know, the, the British are coming. I'm half British. Yeah. I might as well share that too. So the first <laughs> coming, I'm always conflicted on July 4th. So, um, so uh, what ended up, what I see now is that in the next 14 to 16, 18 months, the same thing that happened in the business where there was there was this cannibalism with with e course with with adult content, it's going to happen with e courses. It's going to happen with art. It's going to happen with. I'm seeing it now. Where we've I've got a, a mainstream client where there's a, a very successful. Uh, what looks like an altruistic site that that sells uh, provides this utopia for artists to be able to sling their wares is probably the largest fence of stolen art that I've seen around. Um, so we're about to take them to task. But so I'm seeing it now start to happen. And so being forward thinking, I know what it's not even a doubt. I know what's going to end up happening in the future. The more popular you become, the more courses you produce, the more your stuff's going to be out there. Um, and, and I'm seeing it just on the on the test that Melissa's had me run with some popular people who sell e-courses. I found their courses, their, their most updated courses and downloaded them 
just to see if it was the legitimate courses and then dumped them. I mean, I'm seeing this. I'm seeing it now on a small scale. It's going to be a big deal. And the second that that table kind of that tipping point kicks where you might not be making as you might not be making as much as you once were. And now you're seeing it kind of more popular. And it's a. It's 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 that it's it's that. eventually it's going to hurt your bottom line even more, and That's it's going it. to really take it right. And so you might as well get in front of it now. And and it, the the cost of entry is very small. The other part of it is is you can send what's called uh, takedown notices through the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and we actually created uh, a, um, a a landing page for your audience, which is intellectualpropertyhq.com forward slash live to grind. And so and, and and by the way for. Everybody listening, this is a problem. And again, I, I've known there was issue. I just didn't know how bad it was. And I, again, I'm glad you're in my mess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fact because as I grow, the the more content I create online, which there's so much out there, more people are going to target. They target the the people that are making more money, and they target the people that are putting out a lot of content. And not just your content. So it's a problem out there too in search engines. Yeah, they're tar- so so for one, you've you've created this course to be able to teach people about this beyond this podcast show more in depth about yeah. what it is. Yeah, so they can learn from that and be able to try to stop this in the future. And if it gets to a, a bigger level, well, they call you. Right. But we can we can give you some tools in the meantime and we can help you out. Uh, we also have a Facebook community. You're a member of it. Which I am in it. Right. Intellectual Property HQ. Uh, again, the, the website has a, has a link to it, but, uh, so we created what's called a takedown or I, I put up a template for a takedown notice. And so here's what you can do. If you find your content, you can use Google to start, just, you know, go four or five pages in and type in like whatever your content is or whatever your courses, your blogs and like download now or something like that, that yeah. would be advertising like, and go in a few pages past one, two and three. I think, you know, that's. I always joke, like, I don't care about the first couple of pages. I want to see what's going on on, like, page six, because that's going to tell me a lot more. That's Um, where it gets in it. And then uh, once you're in there and you find where your content is, you copy that link, and then there's a space on the takedown notice where you put that link, and then you put the legitimate link. You find an email address on that site, whether it's looking through the who is or the contact. You fill all the information out on the form, and you send it to them. Now, this is essentially a... It's called a Digital Millennium Copyright Act takedown notice, DMCA takedown notice. You can send that same notice to Google. Google has an online form that lets you do it. And what they will do is, is they will remove the content. In theory, well, Google will. The pirated site will remove the content from their website uh, expeditiously, loosely defined. Um, yeah. So what I typically do is I wait seven to ten days. I go back if I still see it. I escalate it with another letter, and then I'm looking for other things too. I'm going to send a notice to their host. I'm going to send the notice to any advertisers that they're doing business with. I'm sending notices to everybody to put everybody on notice that you don't have business being with this content, and if you don't disconnect yourself, things are going to happen. You might get some pushback from them. I've found throughout the years when I send notices, uh, some depending on who it is, it, it has more meaning just because of what usually comes when I send a notice. It's usually yeah. like a precursor to a lawsuit, um, and there are services that do this. There's 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 companies that do this all day long. The the, the notice portion, if you need scale. Has anybody got really mad at you and threatened you? Uh, yeah, I don't care, um, and, <laughs> and I really don't. I can clear. I can defend myself. I have been. Well, I have a friend Nate, and and he sends these notices all the time, and he has this thing called Nate Mail, 
and we'll probably do a show about it at some point. But he gets he gets by name the pirates because he goes he's the sending the notices about the users themselves that also upload to some of these sharing sites. So he gets all kinds of things. I was in Prague at a trade show and I remember we're in Eastern Europe and I'm sitting with one of the ways I don't usually sit. I'm sitting with my back towards the rest of the restaurant as opposed to like old school, you know, up against the wall. Uh, so yeah. I hear from the back is your name, Jason Tucker. And I, and I'm thinking here's no shit. Here's what's going through my head. I don't feel anything cold on the back of my head. <laughs> and I was like, I turned around. I'm like, yeah, he goes, I think you're suing me. I was like, well, it wouldn't be me. It would be one of my clients. And if you think, we probably are. So why don't you have a seat? And it turns out it was a guy that I was trying to track down that, w- that one of my clients had filed a suit on. And sure, shit over a beer, we worked out a deal. You so, worked out a deal and you, you made money for your client. Yeah, my client made money. The content came down. And, and, and uh, we ended up actually going back to that same guy. But uh, it, it – <laughs> well, no, another studio had an issue. So I was like, you know, I, I had the guy's contact. So I'm like, let's have a conversation. That is so interesting. You know, so I don't – you know, it's, it's the old rule of thumb, right? If somebody tells you they're going to do something to you, really? So, so let, let's, let's talk through this. So you, you've done some work for FBI, right? Uh, yes, I've gone through their Citizens Academy, and then over the years, uh, I have I have uh, done some consulting work for them. So, what what are some like what are some things that you've learned through that that you know how to track people? They are brilliant at following the money. If you ever see anything related to to the bureau, who and the men and women that work there, tremendous amount of respect for them. Uh, they're just solid, solid people, but they are freaking brilliant at following the money. And that's, if, if I honed any tool set from them, it was following the money. And every time I have utilized that system of seeing, well, okay, they may look like they're in Eastern Europe, but they're using PayPal. And they're using PayPal, or they're using this processor, or that processor, or they're using this advertiser, this advertising engine, which is based here in the United States. Somehow that money has to travel from here to somewhere else. And so the question becomes, where is the here and where is the somewhere else? And then how do you so get in the middle of that? So you actually can track where people's money's going. Oh, yeah. So is there like system? I don't even know that. Like is there systems online where you track the bank accounts or like all this? Well, there's – so when it's a lawsuit, there's subpoena power. So the – excuse me. So the attorneys are, can get information. But – uh, and we can utilize that to do more and more research. But I find that I can just click the buy now button and use a prepaid credit card to go through the transaction process and see what the result is and see the processor that processed it and see what the stamp is that comes up for the, the, with the merchant ID and then track the merchant ID. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of search engines. So you basically can buy their shit and then from that, Why not? the process, there's, find info. There are engines you can use that are readily available and there are engines on the, you know, there's there's the World Wide Web and then there's the web. So you so, can go to both places and, and find out what you need to find out. So shared one cool story. Have you been able to track something down on a case or anything? Had a guy that for three years was was looking like he was in Southeast Asia was then claiming he was in a Middle Eastern country, had no, his attorneys were screaming, had absolutely no ties to the U.S. whatsoever, tracked him down to Southern California, to his house. You tracked him down to his house? To his house, and then sent his attorneys a picture from Google Earth. 
<laughs> Google, the Google helped. Google Earth. Yeah. That is a power technology. So you've been able to track people. So and then for all the, the, to figure out who owned the house, and then the phone number, and then called the guy. <laughs> Again, I'm glad you're in my mastermind. <laughs> I had another guy who's claiming he was overseas. Tracked him down to Staten Island. So you can track people down. Yeah. You have this knowledge, this technique, this skill to be able to do this. So it's readily available tools. I have no secret sauce except this is, and this is what we're going to teach. You know how to utilize it. Exactly. So what if, what have you out of all this experience, what are some big takeaways from what you've learned in all this? I could this journey in this business. Stolen shit if I wanted to. <laughs> you could what? I really know how to steal and sell shit if I wanted to. Um, uh, I've learned that actually one of the things that I have learned is that if you have, if you have a product and you have put a price tag on it, there is somebody else out there that will take it and sell it with no remorse in their heart. And I don't know if it's cultural, I don't know what it is, but I have had clear cut conversations with people who were saying things like, I don't know why this is going on to me. Like total victim, dude. I don't know why this is happening. What's wrong with what I'm doing? They fundamentally do not have a place in their brain for I am slinging stuff that doesn't belong to me, and that's wrong. So They don't get why selling somebody else's content is illegal. Oh, and I'm shocked by it. I'm also shocked by the people who just take this stuff and then give it away for free just for status on the underweb. It's, it's, it's nutty to me. Wow, this has been a very interesting <laughs> show that I've and I, I it's it's good for listeners because everybody listening just so you know like there's a lot of things happening that we don't realize. I mean just looking for fraud alone, you know in the last 6 months I've had three different frauds uh for people people taking somehow getting my card number and going having a spending spree well, frauds that, brand right, and all these how many places. The hacks have taken place just in the last 6 months, right? You read so about many. them every day. And then most people use the same passwords, and we could do a whole show on on what I think about passwords and and, and some other crypto things that people can do. But I think the 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 big and I'm not trying to take away your show from you, but the big message I would say to your user base is, if you are spending money producing content, you should be spending a few extra steps to be able to, to protect, protect it. it. And um, I am more than happy to explain whatever I have to to help you understand not only how important this is, but how easy it can be. And it, the more you do something now, the easier it's going to be. You don't know what's going to be hit. You don't know what's going to go viral. You don't know what's going to be your big thing. And at some point, if you keep throwing it up against the wall, something's going to kick. And when it kicks, you want to make sure that you have the tools in place. Here's a good example that, that, that I think I used with you, which is it's a big flood. It's like a big rain and a storm coming, and the water is coming down, and it's going to flood your city. You can't stop that water from coming, but you can put electronic sandbags in place to be able to yeah. guide the water a little bit just so you can get a little handle on not flooding your house. So, I mean, the moral story is it makes sure you protect your stuff because if you are – a go-getter entrepreneur like myself or you and you're you plan on obviously selling a lot of stuff and making a lot of money um protect it right and contact you absolutely i'll be more than happy to help i love this so, i'm like the snake <laughs> in the grass that waits for somebody to pop there i'm not the first line of defense i'm like the guy that just sits his overwatch and waits and when i see the big problem it's like fire <laughs> so and by the way, everybody listening, so he has a, a Facebook group and a course. So where, again, where can people find this? Intellectualpropertyhq.com. 
I always like this and I, I'm curious to hear your advice. What is your best advice to give other entrepreneurs out there that are going into this world of business? Treat your content like it's a major portion of your business because at the end of the day, if you wanted to sell yourself as a business, you're only selling you. However, if you have registrations, be it patents, trademarks, copyrights, you now have an intellectual property portfolio and that has value. If you want to see how much value, look at what Samsung and Apple do to each other in the court system every day. I love it. I love it, man. I I can't wait to have some talks with you in Northeast style. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> for, for everybody listening, I'm glad I got Jason on my side. For you, if you want to protect your stuff, you want to basically bite something in the butt before it becomes a big problem, you got content out there, contact Jason. We'll have everything on the notes. And uh, this is a problem. It is happening. Even myself, I looked it up. Uh, one of my courses, somebody's selling it. And I didn't know this until Jason pointed it out. And it, it pissed me off. So just so you know, it could be happening to you. And it probably is happening to you. So contact Jason. Uh, for all of you out there, you know what time it is. It is time to go out there, create something great, and become unforgettable. Because life is too short not to. I'm Brennan T. Adams. Have a great day, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show with Jason. Dude, Jason is a great guy. Jason actually in my mastermind. I'm excited here in a few months actually going to be in our cabin masterminding. And I'm, I'm excited to hear some more stories from him. He definitely knows his stuff. So if you're looking to pre- protect your content and your IP and you need somebody to hire, Jason is a guy. Highly suggest him. Just a great person in general, but check out the notes at live to grind.com. You can see more about everything on the show and everything he talked about and the offers he had. As you know, go out there and create something great. Y'all create something great and become unforgettable because you know, life is too short not to. I'm Brennan C. Adams. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>